Hello and welcome to another episode of SoccerCast Chicago. I'm your host, Alex Campbell, and joining me today, a man who's been paying just as much attention to both the NWSL Challenge Cup and MLS's back as I have, particularly on Chicago fronts, the managing editor of Hot Time in Old Town, the home of Chicago soccer at SB Nation, Patrick McCraney. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Alex, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So, um... Since I last recorded an episode, both teams have played a game. The Red Stars have advanced to the semifinals of the NWSL tournament, and we will obviously get to that later. But first, got to talk about the result last night for the Fire, a 2-0 loss to the San Jose Earthquakes, which leaves them third place in Group B on three points, but still plenty of opportunity coming up against Vancouver to advance in the group. Um... Patrick, when we saw this team announced, it was clearly the same formation, that 5-3-2, as we saw last yeah. time. Yeah. What was your expectation going into this game once we knew that's how Rafael Wicke was going to play things? Well, the one thing I was worried about would be playing through the midfield with, with all that um, man marking that goes on with San Jose, and that clearly was an issue last night. We didn't have a whole lot of the ball, uh, but you and I were both on the call with Rafa. Uh, last Friday, and he said that was one of the big concerns he had going into the game. So it wasn't surprising, that's for sure. Um, I just felt like, you know, if that first chance that that Barrich pass into CJ had been converted, and like CJ said last night, maybe if they had a little more time together, they'll start clicking like that, then you have a different game. But as that thing wore on, it just kind of felt more and more and more like there's just no way this is going to work out for the fire. And in the end, it didn't. We, we had our the 53rd minute goal, um, and then the Wando demoralizer, I think a lot of us predicted would happen. Uh, so, not good, but I don't think it's anything to jump off a bridge over. They're a really new team, and uh, they're going to need to go through something like this if they're going to succeed down the road. So, Yeah, I mean, and last night we saw the Fires, I guess you could call New Look Midfield 3, play together for the first time. Unfortunately, Lukas Stojanovic... Right going off just before halftime with an injury, but it just felt like as San Jose built and built possession and control of this game, the the thing that was also pushing against the fire was that buildup of yellow cards and that came kind of in quick succession early in the second half, and suddenly you had all three midfielders and two of the three center backs on yellow cards, and then understandably they've got to be careful from there while they're also trying to chase a game that they find themselves down 1-0 in. Um... On the defensive end, I think the person who got put in the spotlight most last night was Francisco Calvo. On that first goal by Espinoza, Mauricio Pineda steps forward, doesn't get the man or the ball in trying to challenge Jackson Ewell, and then Espinoza just floats inside of Calvo into this wide-open space. No chance for Kronholm, and, you know, I think as the game wore on, you ended up with Sakulich and Calvo as a center-back pairing in a back, basically just a back two onto themselves, and... It always, as you said, the Wander demoralizer felt like it was coming. That just kind of felt inevitable with the fact that there didn't really seem to be a good defensive structure for the fire as that game wore on. Yeah, it, on that goal, it, it's easy to point out Calvo because Calvo was the guy closest. He was the guy who was holding him on side. But I, Pineda felt very far forward there. I right. didn't see Madron track, and I don't know what his instructions were, but I felt like he should have there. It's and you also we have this tendency to you know if we we look at things through our team's lens and so you look at it you say you know the fire screwed up and that is why San Jose scored but San Jose Jose also 
played well, built toward that, and, and made mm-hmm. a great play. So right, there's yeah, it's 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 not all doom and gloom for the fire there, but there are definitely things that you don't want Calvo that wide, even more than than that deep. It's that wide for right. me that that felt. I don't know why he was there. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously there's there's some tape to look at and some things to hopefully correct going forward, but. But yeah, it's San Jose made a great play too. So absolutely, yeah. And the thing about Pineda on that play, he's a young player. This is something you see more mature players. If you're going to make that step and you don't get the ball, that is the time yeah. for the tactical foul because by not getting the ball, you know you've left a hole behind you. And so at that point, what your job is is to make sure that play stops. And the way to do that is you've got to, you know, you don't want to hurt anybody, but you've got to at least go in and try to make a challenge on Jackson Ewell there to try to break things up. Because instead, what he's done is he's run 15 yards forward and had absolutely no impact on San Jose moving the ball. But to your point, they moved the ball well there. It's a heck of a finish from Espinosa. Just no chance for Cromholm, who steps out into just that huge vacuum of space. He's left in no man's land. And then you mentioned later, you know, it felt like a second goal was coming. Wando gets in between Sekulich and Calvo, who again... I doubt we're going to ever see as a traditional center back pairing in a back four unless right. he, so he just finds the space between the center backs there. And that did really feel like it was coming. The fire just not creating a whole lot. Um, so I think that's kind of leads us to looking forward and what we're going to see in this next game. Cause Vancouver who lost three, nothing last night to Seattle is a sieve defensively. So, I think we we'd like to hope that we're not going to see such a defensive posture from the fire in that third group game. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I still feel like they're going to go into that game and win that game. But mm-hmm. um, it, it's it, I, like you said last night. It's it's just a football game. You know, we we have this tendency to anoint them the the greatest team in the world after they beat Seattle, and then everybody's down on them after San Jose. This is all part of it. I think they're better than Vancouver. Uh, I, I think they're going to beat Vancouver, but you know what? They may not. So we'll, we'll find out. I, I I wonder what changes he'll have in store for that, and if he's going to go with the the five three two slash three five two that he's been doing, or if he's going to have something different. I, I did look back at um, at Basel. They did a lot of that. Um, one of the first pieces I did for Hot Time was I looked at all of the Champions League lineups he did in his year with Basel and. I think all of them were three five two, except maybe one. So um, that may be his preferred format. We saw him go to that in the New England game uh, after Jimenez came on. Um, so I, I do think this is probably what he likes to do. Uh, and it, I think it has a chance of success against Vancouver, so we'll see. Yeah, and again, a, a player that doesn't feature because of this formation, who we finally saw come on the field last night, is Ignacio Aliceta, young Argentine young designated player signed from Defensa in the Argentine Super League this offseason. Vancouver feels like the sort of game that might be the time to just let him run out there and see what he can do. Because again, with what we've seen defensively from Vancouver, who now are eliminated from the tournament and who knows what their mindset's going to be going into this third group game, they could play all their kids for all we know. This feels like maybe the chance, even though he hasn't had a lot of time time on the field with this team yet, to just kind of let him go out there and give him maybe carte blanche on a wing and let him show what he can do. I wonder about that. The, the fact that, that, you know, he he's not just a winger. He can play forward, too. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Wiki brought on Elliot Collier for CJ Sapong instead of Aliceta said to me, 
that Alice Ada must have some work to do. Right. It's, this is not just a case of, like he said, he's got to earn it, and he's maybe he's easing him in a little bit. I, I do wonder if, if maybe he's not, at least initially, the player that they thought he was. I hope I'm very wrong on this. But mm-hmm. I, I, like, like you said, I do hope he gets some game time against Vancouver so we can see what this guy can do, um, whether that means a start or whether that means you know significant minutes off the bench. Uh, we'll see. Right, because there's also the possibility, based on what we've seen San Jose and Seattle do to Vancouver, if the fire come out strong in this game, there's every opportunity they could be up to two or three goals at halftime. And so if that's the case, then obviously that opens things up a bit. You mentioned Collier, who Wiki's very, very uh, complimentary of, especially for the work he did in the preseason. So it's hard to know exactly what the reasoning is for that in the pecking order right now. Another thing I'm going to be watching for is this game, though, is so when Stojanovic gets hurt, the immediate move is to throw on, uh, is to throw on Fabian Ervers, a guy who was kind of a fringe player under Panovic, wasn't expected to be a central figure under Ricky. Suddenly, though, is one of his preferred central midfielders, despite not really playing in that position, over a guy like Georgi Mihailovic. And now with Stojanovic out of the lineup, it's going to be interesting to see how those two players in particular, Ervers and Mihailovic, feature in this Vancouver game because I think everybody especially because they have I think kind of a soft spot for him as a Chicago guy would like to see more of Georgie in this tournament because when he's been thrown on in these first two games he hasn't really seen to make much of an impact and it hasn't been clear what his job is out there right that's been an issue I mean we played I thought he played well in the uh, two games in March when when Wiki deployed him wide um, which is not what I think of first and foremost when I think of Georgi Mihalovic, but um, it last night, it, and I would say this is not just the case with him, last night after the substitutions, I was having a hard time figuring out what they were doing. Oh, there was no the discernible shape. Yeah, like watching the shape, I could not figure out what the plan was, and I wonder if they knew clearly what the plan was. And I get the sense that, that Wiki's very good about He's very detailed. I, I mm-hmm. feel like they would have known, but maybe it was just a matter of, of San Jose making the game so chaotic that you couldn't tell. But I, I couldn't figure out what Georgie was supposed to be doing, and I couldn't figure out what a lot of the guys were supposed to be doing at that point late in the game. So it, it would, I think Vancouver will will tell us some things, and it'll be a lot easier to tell what's going on uh, with our players there. But yeah, I, I, I would like to see Georgie get some time. Uh, it, it's very clear to me that... that Harvers and, and guys like Harvers and, and uh, Elliot Collier, and you can even say Pineda are wiki guys. Mm-hmm. I think that's clear. He, he likes them. And, and uh, you know, at least in preseason, Collier showed. I thought Harvers played well in the first couple of games in March, so I could see what he saw there. But hopefully there's a spot for Georgie, too, in all this. Yeah, you would hope so. And again, I think, I think the lineup against Vancouver on Thursday morning is going to tell us a lot. So as of right now, the Fire are second place in the third place team rankings. Yes. And unless there was real mass chaos, a draw against Vancouver is probably enough, unless the the alternative being like a team that's currently on one point going out in their third game and winning by like four goals or something. Right. And, um, yep. So the Fire would probably be safe. Because here's the thing. As much as everybody would like to see them demolish Vancouver and, you know, really put in a strong showing... 
The unfortunate thing is your reward if you do that is a round of 16 date with LAFC. And obviously the team is not concerned about this, but there would be some real cruel irony to if the fire really, you know, finally got going on all cylinders, put like five up on the board against Vancouver. And then you, and then, you know, you've got a date with Bob Bradley and co a few days after that. On short and on the same amount of rest, on luckily though. Yeah, both teams would be on short rest. LAFC right. plays later that night on Thursday, but you'd have both of those teams like on three days rest playing against each other. Which, given the running LAFC do, does not sound fun for anybody. I like this fire team, but I don't like them in that game. That's for sure. So yeah, it, it may be better to grab one of those wild card spots. And like you said, a, a, I was figuring, trying to figure out the exact wording for this when I wrote it for for Hot Time, but. A draw should do it is probably the – it may not, but it probably will. So um, that may be best-case scenario. But uh, there's something to be said, too, for it, – it'd be a very – we saw it with the Red Stars, honestly, to, to run out some kids and get a draw and then take the lower seed knowing you're better off where you fell. Right. Um, <laughs> very Rory thing to do. But, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, I – kind of feel like there's something to be said too for the starting 11 or you know the 14 or so guys that are in contention for it do need more time together like cj said he needs more time with barrett if they're going to go two up top so mm-hmm. maybe maybe you do run out basically the same 11 again and and uh give them some more time together i, I don't know what the right strategy is i wonder what Wiki will do uh, certainly you know there might be some encouragement because fans will remember last season as disappointing as 20 20- uh, 2019 was at times for the fire. One of their best team performances of the year was against LAFC, in which they ground out a 0-0 draw in yes. not a great game of soccer, but like clearly they set up in a way, if I remember correctly, it was like a 4-1-4-1, where the back nine basically never left the fire half. But it was, you know, it worked and it frustrated. And so there's a part of me that wonders, you know, I'd honestly like to see a scenario where Give me Sekulich at right back, one-on-one against Rossi, and give me Bornstein at left back, one-on-one against Rodriguez, and maybe they can maybe they can be the guys to kind of just stick to those guys like glue. But obviously, if that game's going to happen, the Fire got to beat Vancouver first. That's MLS breakfast Thursday morning on ESPN. Um, so we'll see what happens in that game with the Fire. We think they're going to be th- through to the knockout round, and that, I think, is a step forward in and of itself. A minute ago, Patrick, you mentioned the Red Stars and the way that they have magically managed to avoid having to play the North Carolina Courage again. <laughs> Half between the madness that was the group stage of the NWSL's back tournament and the weird math that happens when you have every team play four games rather than three. And then, of yep. course, North Carolina going out in the first round of Portland. Um, those four quarterfinal games, I mean, this has been a fun tournament. There's been a lot of good soccer. Those four quarterfinal games were t- were tough. Yeah, that was, um, I guess the, the Portland game was, the Portland-North Carolina game was fun in that you had a goalkeeper standing on her head, as my dog is barking, um, you had a goalkeeper standing on her head and uh, you know, a, a huge upset brewing. As, you know, We normally wouldn't say that Portland defeating North Carolina is a huge upset, but given the eight versus one seeding, it kind of felt that way. The other ones were tough. Um, I, I am glad that they decided to go straight to PKs instead of yes. playing the 30 minutes of extra time because it would have been the same thing, 30 minutes of not scoring. And, and you know, we, we look at, like I said earlier with the fire, we look through 
at things through our team's lens. So we're looking at the Red Stars and, and how much they're struggling to score two goals through five games. A lot of teams are struggling to score. Right. This is not a Red so, Stars problem. No. No. This is a. It's. It's sure. Yes, the Red Stars need to work on it, but all of the teams seem to need to work on it. So um, the the group stage was great, and the quarterfinals were not so great, unless you like chaos, which. In that case, that that part was good. So I was, as for the quarterfinal for the Red Stars, I was really happy with the lineup that Rory Dames rolled out. It looked almost identical to what we saw in the second half against Utah after Morgan Gatra's injury, which forced a system change that actually made the Red Stars finally look better offensively. I definitely like Rachel Hill better as a striker rather than a winger. Um, but still, it, it just things wouldn't connect, of course. The one moment where it felt like we were finally going to get a goal, is Kaylea Watt was inches away from not only the goal of the tournament, but she might have, like, and obviously, like, I'm a Chicago person, so I'm a little biased here, but that would have been getting Puskis discussion if that that ball goes in the net. You look back at it and you wonder, should she have just tried to dribble the keeper, too? Because she dribbled everybody else at that point. (laughs) But to put it wide from six yards out was... Oh, and you know, she. It was funny in in the post game. The first question wasn't even about that, and yet that she immediately like started addressing that. She's like, "I wish I had that chance back." You know, I, I and obviously she does. That was that was an incredible miss for considering what happened in the lead up to it. Yeah, certainly the best offensive moment the Red Stars had in that game, and Kaylee Watt has consistently looked like the most dangerous player offensively for the Red Stars, cutting in off that left wing. Still, though, you know, again, this is a team trying to figure it out. Yuki Nagasato hasn't been able to play much of a role as Rory Dames tries to figure out what her job is going to be on this team going forward. The one thing I will say, though, and I, I had this thought that I mentioned to a couple people privately before the quarterfinal. I said I would have been willing to bet the Red Stars do not concede from open play the rest of the tournament, and I'm still feeling pretty good about that I and mean, this is the best defense probably in the NWSL and I would say certainly left in this tournament and yeah. I just I honestly from what we've seen I don't think Sky Blue is going to score on this team I, I can't see how it happens honestly and unless it's a fluke it's you've got you know basically the national team's defense <laughs> and goalkeeper out there so and that's without Tierna being there if, if Tierna is somehow able to uh, we don't know the full extent of her injury other than that she was played 30 minutes and then was out subsequently so maybe that's a bad look but bad sign but um they, i don't see them getting scored on and bianca st george's has been outstanding playing as outside back too that's that's a probably for me the biggest surprise of the whole uh tournament for the red stars so yeah i, I don't see if they get scored on it won't be much so it's basically if the Red Stars can somehow capitalize on one of those chances that comes, they have a chance of winning this thing. As good of a chance as anybody else, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely, because, I mean, especially in these games that can go straight to PKs, and Julie Ertz with one of the best PKs you'll ever see, men's, women's, anywhere. There's not <laughs> oh a go- my God, was that not amazing? There's not a goalkeeper just- on planet Earth that stops that ball. There just isn't. Um, And so, I mean... the it, was, it wasn't just the shot itself. It was, it was the attitude... Of the like the strut up to the line and just nailing it and turning turning around and fist pumping. I loved that. It was awesome. And the other thing, you know, we saw a lot of PKs. I think it's safe to say the Red Stars were the best team in PKs by a pretty good margin. We saw 
a lot of not particularly hard hit balls with uh, shooters going for placement in those first three games. And then the Red Stars were just kind of like, screw this. We're just going to smack the ball and and see what happens. And it worked out pretty well. And I, I do wonder how, what, how much this plays into it. And Rory said, you know, with, with Alyssa there, he'll go up against anybody on PKs. And yes. she didn't make a save. Nope. But how much did... The combination of Julie opening with that thunder strike, and then uh, the other team knowing that they had to then shoot against probably the best goalkeeper in the world, or among them for sure. Mm-hmm. It, was there a mental aspect to facing Alyssa Nair there? Because um, they did not look good. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think anywhere in soccer, the the goalkeeper's reputation precedes them. I mean, the the best example of this probably ever is the Netherlands a handful of years back multiple times subbing in Tim Krul after you know with their last substitution winning in yes. penalties and then in the last game where they get knocked out when they needed him most they're out of substitutions Jasper Sillison gets left out there and is totally helpless so I think there's definitely a a, a psychological part to it I mean Alyssa Nair has saved a penalty kick in a World Cup semifinal very few yeah. people anywhere can say that and so Oh, no, I think absolutely. And then the best part of all of that is Alyssa Nair gets mobbed at the end of it and just looks like she wants to just go home and go to sleep at that point rather oh than having God. any was, interest. They, they charged her, and, she's, that's, and that's the funny thing about her is the once you, you like talk to her or hear her speak, you see this like this like angry-looking face, and it's like it's like kind of intimidating watching her. Mm-hmm. But then the person, Alyssa Nair, the non-soccer player, the person seems like the softest-spoken, sweetest person you'd ever talk to. And she just wanted no part of the the, the team rushing her, and, and you know, she and they talked to her after the game. She gave credit to the, the not to herself, but to you know Julie and the others who made their shots. It's she's awesome. She is, and that's why, like, given that that's her demeanor, that's you know. Any women soccer fans gonna know what I'm talking about here? One of one of the best gifts on Twitter is a gif of Alyssa Nair and the national team from three or three or four years ago. Just I I have no idea anymore. No one I don't think remembers what precedes it. But there's just this close up of her say of her face saying something to the effect of "Oh well, f me," and like it's just the most <laughs> un Alyssa Nair thing ever, and it will never not be funny. Yeah, we are we are lucky to have her here for sure. Yeah, so I think, you know, for the Red Stars, I mean, I, my my gut going into the OL Reign game was a 1-0 win or a win in penalties, and lower, lo and behold, kind of feel the same way about Sky Blue. I don't think they're going to generate a whole lot offensively, but we've yet to see the Red Stars really score much, and so I think you just kind of have to hope that if there's that kind of chance again for Kalia that, that she puts it away, or that Savannah McCaskill bangs one in from, like, 25, because otherwise, it's, it's hard to see the Red Stars especially with how tired them and all the rest of the teams look at this point. It's hard to see a really nice team goal coming in one of these games at this point in the tournament. Yeah, we have we have no evidence that that's, that's a thing that's going to happen. I mean, maybe you hit Kilia on a switch and she goes ballistic and takes somebody one-on-one and, and cracks one. I, I, that would be nice for me. Mm-hmm. But from a, from a build-up team goal, that's not something that we really have seen the Red Stars do. If nothing else, we're going to get a matchup of Kalia Watt against Midge Purse, assuming Midge Purse keeps playing right back here. So, um, actually, I've just thought of that, and I wanted to get your That's thoughts. Right, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, so, a lot of jokes were being made that in the Washington Spirit game, in which they lost in penalties, 
It was reported by Ali Wagner on TV that the Washington Spirit had been told that Rose Lavelle had a 30-minute cap. Um, yeah. Clearly, nothing, Julie Ertz either A, didn't have one, or B, Rory Dames as the longest tenured coach in this league simply did not care, and Julie did not care about any such instructions. Um, meanwhile, we see Midge Purse being played as a right back rather than a forward, despite the fact that Carly Lloyd and um, Mallory Pugh are out for Sky Blue, and Midge would be a natural fill-in in the front line, ostensibly because she knows that her way into the national team is potentially as the heir to Kelly O'Hara at right back. So what's kind of your thoughts on this of not only the national team who, to be fair, does pay these players' salaries, they, you know, the ones on the national team, they aren't paid by their clubs, but right. the fact that the national team has that sort of sway, particularly in a shortened season like this, but then at the lower level, what does it say about that system if it applies differently to different clubs? Well, to your first point, I know that Rory and Vladko are tight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I, I know Rory away from his role as the Red Stars, and I can tell you that I, I feel like he would say no if he felt like he needed to say no. But his, it, on the other coin, the entire tournament, the thing that he's been saying more than anything else is this is not worth getting anybody hurt over. Mm-hmm. So if there was a I wonder if there was a specific concern about Rose versus other... I think that's definitely possible. Rose is... I mean, Rose before this tournament in two years had played 12 games for the Spirit in two years. Like, and there was even a concern going into the National... Excuse me, going into the World Cup last year, like, wrap Rose and bubble wrap because, man, we need her fit, which proved very important because she was, some people would argue, the best player at the World Cup last year. I would argue that, too. So, you know... I think especially the national team sees, you know, there's going to be like five or six games a year that the USWNT needs Rose Lavelle healthy for. And the other 10 months of the year, in their eyes, probably don't really matter much. And that's really tough to hear if you're a Washington Spirit fan. I saw several people on Twitter expressing their frustration about it. But unfortunately, you know, the reality is when your salary is not getting paid by the club... And the, and the player's employer that they are effectively on loan from tells you, yo, you got to limit their minutes. I don't know what Richie Burke is supposed to do. It's sort of the opposite of the men's game in that if, if Chelsea doesn't want Christian Pulisic to come get annihilated in CONCACAF, they obviously there are rules in place that say that you know if it's, if it's one that they have to release him for, they have to release him for. That's the only reason they're releasing. They would not let him come get hacked by... Honduras if they didn't have to and, and if you're U.S. soccer your prized possession right now is probably Rose Lavelle and you don't want her to get hurt at the same time what when do they play next I mean it's just, right she, she could like she could be theory... on the schedule let her go let her go I mean it's it, building building the, the NWSL should be a priority of U.S. soccer because it draws more fans in for everybody. And if you don't have one of your star players playing, that's an issue. So if she has to be fit for the Olympics, that's next July? Next August? Yeah, I mean, a year. It's yeah. a year. So, I mean, Ro- Rose has some well-documented frequent muscle injuries, and they're probably not going away anytime soon. So, no, it's got to be frustrating from an NWSL perspective to see such an exciting player limited, especially after what she did in sh- against Chicago in the opening game. So and, and training's, training's a different animal, obviously, but she's obviously still going to train. Mm-hmm. There's still risk that she could be injured between now and then, even without playing in the game. 
for the very few games that there are this season and the very few games that people are going to get to see her play, I felt like I was disappointed, honestly, that that happened. But it's her employer, like you said, so... Absolutely. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how things play out. Obviously, the spirit done in this tournament. North Carolina done in this tournament, which was obviously a shock to a lot of people. Although, there keep being whispers, from Rory especially, and I think I'll leave you with this, Patrick. You know, Rory has hinted very hard, very publicly, that the Red Stars are going to play at SeatGeek this fall. Um, you know, yes. what do we know, if anything, about theoretical more women's soccer being played by these teams after the Challenge Cup ends. I, I Rory has said that, and he's the only person I've heard that from. But um, I feel like it'll come down to whether they can have paying customers in the stands at all. And if they're going to do a USL thing and have 25% capacity or, or whatever, maybe it makes some financial sense to do it. If the sponsorship isn't there to cover the cost of playing those games in empty stadiums where the TV money isn't there, I don't think they'll do it. I think it basically comes down to whether they can make money off it or not. And if they can and they can do it safely, we may see them, but right now I, I just don't see it. Yeah, because there's obviously different concerns for different teams. Obviously, the Red Stars... Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Red Stars in theory, you know, could the Red Stars play at Soldier Field with a fire play and now you've got a huge capacity stadium and, you know, if the Red Stars think they can get 15000 a game, well, now you can do that safely, whereas they'd be limited to something like four and a half thousand at SeatGeek. And obviously, you know, there's there's big concerns for a club like Portland who sell out every game, who's, you know, who are, you know, kind of betting on and predicting, you know, that when they have home games with fans at Providence Park, there's 25,000 people there no matter what. Um, there's some teams, frankly, like a Houston, who wouldn't have to change much of anything because they don't fill more than 25% of their stadiums at present. Right, right. Um, yep, it, it's... And that's the, that's the thing that all these leagues are dealing with, like you saw with the Toronto Blue Jays. It, should we be playing when, you know, if, if some teams are going to have fans, other teams aren't even allowed to play in their own markets. Uh, NWSL is obviously e- easier to coordinate that with only nine teams to deal with, but should we be playing if there's different rules for different teams? Is mm-hmm. it better to have some soccer if it's a little bit unfair for everybody or have no soccer at all? I don't know the answer we've never done this before this is new to all of us but um i i i don't think that we'll see nwsl games this fall but rory obviously knows something so he's a pretty influential guy so maybe we'll get he'll get something done well if there's any news on the red stars front the fire front or anything chicago soccer related patrick and everybody over at hot time in old town is gonna have it covered so keep an eye out for their coverage the rest of the season, not only here in these mini tournaments, but as 2020 continues and so much is changing, not only in soccer, but the entire sports world. Patrick, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. It was fun.